Hello, welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. Today we have repeat guest. His name is Tim Silvestri. Tim is a sports psychologist, performance psychologist. He has a huge depth of knowledge, has been on the podcast a couple times in the past where we talk very much about specific performance models that will help you do better on race day, train better, and just feel better. So Tim has a ton of experience with this stuff. And today we talk about a very specific topic about like really what is sports psychology. We really do get in the weeds with this. We talk about when it's appropriate to use it, how to differentiate it from therapy, why it exists, how it could help you, how to find one, like what to, what to look for, what to trust. And we really wrap things up really well about some, again, some different frameworks to talk about and think about with your own performance. So the mental side of performance is as important, if not more important as the physical. And this is a conversation that I've really never heard happen anywhere else. It's hard to even find articles around stuff like this. So this is something that we thought needed to happen. So Tim brought it to me and we definitely had a great time hashing it out. So I'm excited to bring it to you. So let's just get into it. Tim Silvestri. All right. Tim Silvestri. Tim, what's up? How are you today? Yo, yo, yo. I'm well. How's Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. This is my this third, is great. third time to charm. Or I think three it's strikes the, and I'm out. <laughs> I think this is the fourth time. So you're not out. You're back in because this is the fourth time. So, uh, so again, the, the previous episodes you've been on in the past uh, are extremely popular. I think this is very much resonates with this audience, and, and most of the people who are listening are, you know, one way or another trying to improve their performance. You know, and, that, and that's why they're here. That's why you're, they're listening. So, one thing that does sort of come up when we're talking to some of the higher level athletes and those who are really maybe have maximized the things that they could do physically is the mental side of the performance. I know, you know, some of the, the championship performers that are in OCR have talked about that. And, and like, that is something that is very present with them. Some top of a CrossFitters when you, when you're, when you pay attention to their training and their full methodology, the idea of mindset is always something that plays in and it can definitely be something that changes the game for specific athletes. So a lot of times we're talking about sports or sports psychologists or like performance psychologists or like these performance coaches. So today we thought it'd be fun topic to really kind of dive in and talk about like what that actually means. Cause it sounds like from the outside that it is maybe one thing, uh, and, and, and how it might differ from, therapy and, or, and what you might expect from that. So I, I really was just curious on your end, you know, what would you consider like yourself at your uh, performance psychologist is, is what you prefer, consider yourself. So like what, what exactly are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for having me on. I am really excited to talk about this topic because quite frankly, I just feel terrible sometimes for the people I meet with. I have a hard enough time, the hack that I am <laughs> trying to present myself well and trying to get people on the same page, right? Because we're talking about complex ideas and I'm limited by whatever capacity I have to explain things. But beyond that, I feel terrible for people because they just have never been taught the difference between like therapy and performance coaching. Um, and I think coaches struggle like you to like, are you kind of venturing into the therapy space? And you're like, whoa, I really shouldn't be doing that because mm -hmm. I'm a coach. Or are you doing some performance coaching? And we're, no one's ever come out and kind of 
effect, or maybe they have, but not enough. We there's never enough to come of people coming out and saying, "Here's the difference of the two. Here's what to expect," and maybe you can be an educated consumer enough to ask specifically for one or the other if you know what you're asking for, which would mm-hmm. be really awesome because. You might be disappointed by experience, but you didn't even know you were asking for a particular thing. The person you're meeting with didn't know you were asking for a particular thing. <laughs> right. And so both of you are missing when you could have had a nice union. So I'm just excited as hell to talk about the difference of that and to kind of orient people in the right way. So when someone would come to to you or to someone else who is in this performance psychology space, what at what point do would you feel it is appropriate for them to reach out? Like what kind of things should they be looking for when reaching yeah. out to someone like you? So here's the typical thing, right? So a, a, a student athlete, college or high school, they're struggling in some way. And a coach says, you better go see a sports psychologist, right? Which is really not sports psychology. It's really, you need to go to a therapist. Hmm. But they they weasel out of the real conversation, which is, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about your mental health. Go see a therapist. They feel e- easier to say, go see a sports psychologist. So, you know, you have these fancy Division One programs with lots of money, and they have an embedded psychologist in the program to do sports psychology. But that's air quotes, sports psychology. It's really therapy. And mm. people go to them when they feel when they feel screwed up. Um, that's not really sports psychology. That's therapy. And I'm sure there's a sports psychologist out there flipping out right now. But face it, you're doing therapy at that moment. Yes, you're a sports psychologist, but you're doing therapy. So, um, but a performance psychologist might. I think of it this way. I'm just shocked sometimes the amount of work an athlete puts in during the week and they have no idea how to use that capacity so it's like you have this sports car that you've built from scratch and you've never taken driving less driving lessons Mm -hmm. and you keep crashing it this beautiful sports car my job as a performance psychologist when i'm not doing therapy which some of the athletes i'm just doing therapy with but my job is to say you've created this sports car in your garage from scratch every bolt that's in there you put on there um now i'm going to teach you how to drive this car and that is just performance psychology that is like right so, yeah, because, I mean, that's a good analogy, right? You can know how to build a car and not ever have driven it, not driven a car, right, mm-hmm. to, to really know how to, to put it in place. So what do the, the mechanics look like when it, when it comes to teaching someone how to drive that sports car? Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, we have kind of the approach side. We have all week and, you know, um, the difference of work, the – the symbiosis, the yin yang of work recovery and helping people interpret. I had a conversation uh, with someone and this was a spur of the moment conversation, but this is an example. He had switched coaches. Uh, The coach had him working a lot on Bert. So his 
amount of vert during the week had just exploded. And he mm. showed up at this little race. Uh, it's not a big race. It was like barely a sea level race for him. And he was he didn't race well. He was just spent. And I'm like, well, of course you're spent. Your work recovery ratio is off. And you're mid-training block. And you've worked yourself into oblivion. You had nothing left for this race. And it was like this breakthrough moment for them to be like, oh, you're right. You know, it, I'm spent right now. I, sh I, I wanted to be spent. I worked my ass off to get to this level. And I said, you made your coach proud. You worked so hard that you had nothing to give in this dumb 5K that you could care less about. You so know, that's a quick example, but like, and anyone could have done that. You don't need to be a sports psychologist or performance psychologist to narrate that for somebody or to validate them. But that's just a quick example, maybe not even the best example. It's an example, right? It's like taking a look at the pieces that are that they might be too close to see and, and taking a zoomed out view so you can really mm -hmm. help the person understand why they're physically feeling some way, why they're mentally feeling some way. And then is there a specific direction or is it more like suggestive based off of what you're kind of like seeing? Yeah. And so then, then it's like, okay, well, you, sh you're, well, for one, your first check down should always be physiological. Only then do you do, should you go psychological. So, you know, and frequently what's happening, and this is again, why I was so excited to talk to you about this stuff is athletes come to me and they want a psychological explanation. And I feel terrible because their agenda is give me the psychological explanation. I'm ready. If you want to tag me and say, I'm a psychological train wreck, I'm ready for you to tag me. And I'm like, no, our first check down is always physiological, mm -hmm. you know? And um, there is no need with this athlete to go to psychological because there is too robust of a physiological explanation first. There was nothing they could have done. Right. right? No matter what kind of mental mindset they came into that race, yeah. they were spent. Yeah. So it could be as simple as that. It's like, okay, you're, not sleeping enough your nutrition mm -hmm. might be out of whack uh what, what are what are people's pushback when it comes to those things are they coming to you hoping to learn something that they didn't know about themselves where where when it's physical it's like oh well like why i could have figured that out but even though they might have not is it something that's like right in front of yeah. them that they don't want to hear it is it's and that's why i feel badly for athletes sometimes i work with because it's like Trust me, I know how to eat and sleep. I don't need to talk to someone about that, let alone a psychologist about that. I'm here to talk about the psychology of it. And it's like, yeah, but you're screwing up the eating and the sleeping. I, I'm, a, I'm irrelevant until we get that right. Because we don't, it'd be like trying to, it's like trying to talk to a, a drunk person mm. and trying to counsel them. Like, I don't know what's happening because you're drunk. <laughs> I need you sober so I can understand where you are psychologically, right? Um, and so with athletes, it's like, I kind of don't know what we're dealing with mentally because your sleep and eating or whatever is so omnipresent that I don't know what I got psychologically. We have to kind of flesh. And so sometimes I have to clear that. And you said, what kind of pushback do you get? 
sometimes enormous pushback and they might reject me outright because it's like they really were they want they want to see a psychologist um that's and that's just disorienting i think is the right word it's disorienting it's not like they're antagonistic it's right just it's disorienting it's like why are we talking about sleep it's probably disheartening they're they're disheartening me right like they're hoping to get some sort of answer where you're like well you just gotta you gotta eat a little bit more and it's like well that's not my i well my race is i'm just i feel like i'm quitting it's like well your body's kind of quitting you you don't have enough fuel like you can't go beyond what you're physically limited by so do do and sometimes you can but that's the other side of it is i can also teach someone to push past some things to win you are in essence pushing back some natural governors in the car Mm -hmm. right um and so i do want to teach people that but that's why i say like a lot of sports psychologists don't walk the walk a lot of them do a lot of them are former d1 athletes and stuff but a lot of them aren't and you know you and i have made every mistake there is i've cut out too much fat i've cut out too much carbs i've underslept i've undereaten i've under recovered i so you do have to go there but I do, I do like, I'd rather meet with someone who walks the walk than just studies. It's, it's nice when you know that they've felt it, you know, like it, there, there's yeah. something to that, right? Like, and you talk about this before and I like the language used for this. It's like the right message from the right messenger. It's like, you can get the right message from someone who may have not walked the walk, mm-hmm. but it's probably harder to accept. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why some of these high level people look to high performing athletes also as high performing coaches, which might not always be, they may have the wrong message, but it's coming from that messenger, which can sometimes not be great. But when it comes to like the physical parts, do you have like a checklist? Like, do you go through certain things? You're like, okay, tell me about your training, tell me about your sleep, tell me about your recovery, or like how many things need to be in order before you really do start to kind of dive into that mental side of things? Um. I mean, not too many. So one, I'm making judgment calls in the moment. So there's no perfect answer to that. I'm Mm -hmm. kind of bouncing off whatever someone's throwing at me. But, uh, you know, obviously, we're going to start with sleep, nutrition, um, and recovery. And uh, those are big. So I, those are pretty simple check downs. I don't I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know if I have a specific list beyond those three automatically. Mm -hmm. Um, because those are so omnipresent and so many people screw them up. I remember hearing something like when you're not really track, which I don't track my macros obsessively, I'm more of a estimate guy. And I heard that it, you, you're, you're probably off 30 to 50% when you estimate, like it, that's no small miss. Right. I figured, Oh, if I'm off five, 10%, who cares? But they're like, no, you're probably off 30 to 40%, 30-50%. And being under protein 30 to 50%, you're going to pay for that big time eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So once these kind of th- these checks are in, in place and you start to kind of do some of that work, I guess, I guess let's just start with then what is the therapy piece? Like when people, like you mentioned right off the jump that 
it's confusing between performance coaching, performance psychology, and, and, and therapy. So when people come into therapy, are they looking to uncover something they didn't know was there? Um, yeah, so therapy can range from just simply, so here's one way to look at it. When you validate someone, they can trust themselves. Like, yeah, that sounds right. And it sounds like you're struggling. And it sounds like this has been a tough situation you've been in. It sounds like you're trying your best and you're working your way through, but it's been hard. That's validating. And coming from a professional, that helps someone trust themselves. Like, okay, the professional said this is hard. I'm not just being a wimp. I'm not just whining, right? Mm -hmm. When you affirm someone, they trust you. And so part of coaching and part of therapy is affirming um and affirming helps them trust you like um uh wow that that um you've been trying hard and i i can really see that uh that you're coming in here with an open heart hmm. you know I'm, I'm affirming them um complimenting them and that helps them to trust you so a lot of therapy, on one hand, if you took a continuum of depth, part of therapy is validating. And sometimes you can't validate because the person's wrong in their assumptions and you can correct it, right? So the other side of the continuum is more of a deeper exploration of like patterns. So what's their autobiographical history? How are those patterns showing up? You know. If you want a freaky experiment, everyone, next time you interact with your family, don't interact, don't be in the interaction, be a witness to the interaction. <laughs> and I hate to break it to the audience, but no matter how effed up the interaction is, no matter how much you're like, I hate when my family does this, whatever you're witnessing, all of that is in you. Yeah. <laughs> because you were in it so long it got in so if you think about a language you if you speak english let's say you didn't learn english you weren't taught english you were immersed in english and now you speak it mm -hmm. and so whatever patterns you're seeing in your family all of that stuff the good the bad and the ugly that's in you and therapy you could say looks at all of that and tries to decipher what's been placed in your personhood how is it helping you and how is it hurting you? And let's correct any of those patterns we need to correct. Interesting. So it's similar to what you're, you're, you're still observing, right? It sounds like, like the observations and the collection of data is something that is important, no matter what we're talking about, the, the external pieces when it comes to training and nutrition and all that, or when it comes to the internal pieces and, and figuring out what, what is in someone and what kind of patterns are, are emerging. But so with this, are, how does that then relate to performance? Like, are you, is, is it like similar things that would stop them from, I don't know, having mm -hmm. a, 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 what they would consider a successful like relationship? Or is it the same type of things that would ha stop them from running a successful race? Well, that's the thing. I think most people, when they seek out a sports psychologist, they're really just seeking out a therapist. They just feel better about calling it a sports psychologist. 
for whatever reason. It's like more approachable or somehow, uh, you know, and they link it to their air quote performance when it's really, you're talking about life and you're trying to figure out life and figure it out yourself. So the more mess you are in your life, the more that's going to hamper performance, but it's really therapy. Um, where we get into the performance piece, that's when now I'm in the models I created, you and I are working on stuff. We'll get into that later, but now I'm really in a kind of coaching thing. So, uh, let's talk about the difference of therapy versus coaching. Mm -hmm. You can have a life coach and they're, they, they overlap a great deal. But if we put them on another continuum, therapy on the left side, coaching on the right side, you can expect a therapist to be more exploratory, look for patterns. Coaching, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to coach you. I'm going to say, here's the research. Here's what we know. Therefore, you should do this. I'm not going to sit here and have a conversation about it. I'm telling you. Therapy, it's like you and I are a team. We're exploring this stuff. I might tell you certain things. I might point out patterns I'm seeing, but it's an interactive model. It's therapeutic. It's personal growth and stuff like that. Whereas coaching, it's like, nope, you need your macros, mm -hmm. right? That's nutritional coaching. Um, performance coaching, it's you are outcome focused and that's going to crush your gains you got to get back to process focus. And here's why, here's when I'm hearing outcome focus. Here's when I'm hearing process focus and I'm coaching them on that. I don't, I don't need them to argue me on that. Just like if you're standing over my deadlift and you tell me my form is wrong, you don't really need me arguing. No, this is the way I do it, Rich. You don't understand. It's just the way I do it. I arch my back. That's, I, that's just how I do it. It's like, no, dude, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. If you want me to coach you, you have to listen. And, right? And think of that moment. A client, if someone comes to me and they're ready for a therapist, a sports psychologist, and I go, this is not arguable here. This is how it works. You know what I mean? And I'm in the coaching side of it. And they're like, well, you're a jerk. You're, you suck as a therapist. You're, you're not like that warm, mushy person. You're like saying I'm wrong and I need to do it this way. It's like, yes, because I'm acting like a performance psychologist right now. I'm trying to teach you the, how, the mechanics of this. And I think a lot of sports psychologists, one, can't articulate the difference themselves, which is horrible to me. There's bad actors there. But... Even if they can somehow, they don't. And clients aren't educated, so they don't know what to ask for. And you can see the whole thing just blows up. Right. So, like, we talk a lot in the things that we do talk about is acting, with, operating within frameworks, mm -hmm. right? And that's kind of what leads to, the, to that so that you do have set places you can bring people or at least operate within that so that you have like steps in, in those lines. And I said, we will, we'll touch on that before, but I just want to double back on the therapy versus coaching. So do people think therapy is like, I, I've spoken to enough people, uh, to kind of understand I've been, I've been to some uh, therapy on my own to know that it, 
it isn't there are there isn't it isn't task oriented right it's not directive it is therapies are do people expect it to be do people come to you and hope for like because you you the way you made it sound was that like people are taken back when you do give tasks where i was always my assumption was always that that's what therapy would be you would go there and they would kind of tell you what what was what and then you'd leave and try to go implement that but you're saying that's more coaching it can be therapy can be directive and therapy could be very loose and open-ended and conversational so it's up to the therapist style it's up to what the client's asking for so you know therapy is partly the therapist right more so than the theory they function from within so some people are just more active and passive and stuff like that but yeah. i think when when people close their eyes and picture a therapist first of all they picture a, a, a woman male therapists who close their eyes and are do this task picture a female therapist too huh. it's bizarre so we have these little templates in our head so people overwhelmingly picture a female therapist they picture someone who says how does that make you feel they picture <laughs> kind of a a flowing kind of explorative talk get out kind of person with a tissue box nearby you know and it's yeah. very emotive and exploratory is that not, not right all therapists are like that yeah <laughs> yeah uh, but all therapists are that way a little bit probably um because emotions happen right we're mm -hmm. emotive creatures who happen to think we're not thinking creatures who happen to emote emotion huh. is our baseline it's our mammalian baseline not thinking hmm. so yeah emotions happen but yeah so it could be it could vary but when you talk about coaching it's going to be much much more like i have a stepwise process um it's been vetted out over time i'm gonna teach you you're gonna give me the what i'm gonna show you the why i'm gonna show you the how Therapy should also be that, but there's times in therapy when someone says I have anxiety and I tell them the science of the why, I'm technically being a bit more like a coach at that moment and then how we're going to fix it. But then we'll also go into autobiographical history and talk about how life is going and, and all that. And then, then we're a little more on the therapy side because it's more conversational. So from, from the outside, then, if someone is feels like they do need to make some sort of change or do, or do want to explore either one of the, these these directions, like what would you have someone do to figure out which direction to go, whether it is on the on the coaching side or it's more on the on the therapy side? I think I think the the and this is again in defense of sports psychologists. I think I've kind of harshed on them a little bit, but in defense of them, you know, I I could see an athlete wanting to go to a sports psychologist because a uh, a NARP right, a non athletic regular person <laughs> might be like, uh, you're a little too obsessed with this running thing, right? Right. Um, my doctor, who's also a good runner, and that's why I picked her we were bantering back and forth about how she visited a doctor and he's like, well, 15 miles would be a lot to run in a week. And her response was, what are you talking about? I ran 15 miles yesterday. A light day. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> what? And he just, and that was like, I can't see this person. Right. Right. And I'm like, that's why I came to see you, you know? So 
it does help to do therapy from a sports psychologist because they're also going to just, you don't have to explain all this other stuff. They already get it. Got it. So that's helpful, but you're still going to them for therapy. So I think a first conversation within a, a sports psychologist or therapist and a client should be, why are you here? What are you hoping to get? And try to flesh that out. Now, a lot of clients can't tell someone, well, I'm looking for mostly coaching, maybe a little therapy, or I'm looking for mostly therapy, maybe a little coaching. And that's why you and I are having this conversation. So athletes might be a little more adept to go and go to someone and say, here's kind of my perfect mix. If I had a guess, 70% therapy, 30% coaching. I'm pretty good on this sports side. I don't want to overly talk about that, even though I know that's your jam. I really need more of the therapy side. You know? Yeah. Huh. That's a great way to frame it. Because I'm the same way with like doctors. It's like if they don't speak, if they haven't felt it, if they don't know it, it's like they're not, they're just not going to get it. But at the same time, so, so most of the time they should be equipped to handle the therapy end of things. Mm -hmm. And, but there are a lot of, you know, coaches that, aren't going to be kind of trained in that specific area. And this is something that I've definitely struggled with too, is like, where are the boundaries, where are the barriers of like, what, what's appropriate to talk about and, and where, where should we go as opposed to like, no, nah, just do some, do these threshold runs and just like eat this much protein. And then like, yeah, like if you don't, now like you're talking about just cause to, to draw the distinction for the audience. Now we're talking about coaches, not life coaches, not, performance psychology coaches. Now we're talking about people like you who coach athletes as a athletic coach. Could we, yes, right? I do want to get there because I think I jumped oh. in a little bit because I do want to talk about that distinction a little bit, like the life coach thing and like a performance coach thing. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know what the relationship is like within your world. Like, is it mm -hmm. adversarial between the, those two types? Cause to be a, a like, I don't necessarily know much about that, like life coaching or whatever, like, but the training is much more extensive for the psychologist and the therapist end of things, right? Like the formalized yeah, I mean, training of things be, in Pennsylvania to be a psychologist like me, I had to pass a board certified exam. Like I had to, I had to pass a licensure exam rather. Um, and the you had to only, go to school. Yeah, yeah, I had to get a PhD. And yeah. the only people in this state who can call themselves a psychologist is someone who's licensed. It's actually licensed psychologist is a it's redundant. Okay. You can't be an unlicensed psychologist. Okay. You could have a PhD in psychology, but according to Pennsylvania, you wouldn't be a you wouldn't be a psychologist. I see. I but see. anyway, so yeah, there's some distinctions there and there's some other training where you could be certified as a coach and it's arguable coaches might disagree. It may be a lower bar. Um, maybe that's arguable. I don't know. But, um, but here's the thing. And I think the analogy for coaches like you is I, I'm not a medical provider, right? I'm, I, I don't have a, a doctorate of medicine an MD. I have a PhD. But as far as I know, every Supreme Court, every state Supreme Court in the country who would be the people weighing in on this said, a psychologist can talk to a client about medication if they're talking to them about the research, because psychologists 
know enough to dissect research well and to present research to clients. Mm -hmm. In other words, you're not practicing medicine without a license. Right. You can't prescribe, I can't prescribe medication, but I can talk to clients about it. About like the mechanics of what it is and what it might be. About, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And okay. when you might consider uh, thinking about medication, when it, that might be overkill, you probably don't need to. I, that's not practicing medicine without a license because I'm simply reporting the research. I think coaches like yourself can do the same thing. You, you can talk about research. You just can't fake like you're a psychologist. Right. And you can't start. If it looks like a duck quacks like a duck is probably a duck. You should preface with, well, I'm not a therapist, but it sounds like you're struggling quite a bit. And maybe you want to talk to someone. As your coach and a mentor, I'd be happy to speak with you, though, you know, I'm not a therapist. But as someone who cares about you, I'm here to listen. Yeah. You can say that. You can do that. That's, and I think coaches fear everything because they're, they can name all the things they're not. <laughs> right. But let me tell you, coaches out there... Don't ever forget you are and always are a human. And you're allowed to be a human, right? Right. Um, so don't stop being human just because of all the things you're not. And, and that's something that I, I try to remind myself with. Like if I was this person's friend or if it was just a, like, like I said, just a listening ear to, to whatever and let them kind of speaking things out to help them understand what they might be going through. It's not like a necessarily overstepping something I wouldn't just do with like, you know, my brother or my partner. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's, yeah. but it, I don't know if it is just, because there's so many different distinctions in terms of like of certifications and of education that it just seems like you're not that to so get pushed back into it. So it's refreshing to hear from, from someone like you who does have all that to be like, just be a human being mm -hmm. and talk and talk it through it, talk through it. Yeah. Because really the, the, and they didn't teach me this in grad school, but um, you'll have to explain to your audience what I'm about to do, but the, the number one intervention a therapist can do is the same thing anyone can do. And I, unfortunately, I wasn't taught it. I had to find it on my own. Ready for it? That's it. What did just, I just do? Just a, a head nod. Uh, head like tilt. A, a go on type of head, head tilt. tilt. An empathic they, head tilt. They don't and teach that? Head, yeah, they don't teach that. And when you head tilt, someone feels really heard and listened to. Hmm. And that's probably the best intervention I ever use with a client. It's a simple head tilt. I care enough to really listen. And when I tend to listen, I my head tilts just like everyone else. So you can do that. And, and we should be doing that. Um, I, I sent you an article before. If you want to put it in the link of the show, mm -hmm. I think everyone should read it. And it's, it's the dangers of over-medicalizing or focusing solely on diagnosis and what can happen when we only. Diagnoses are an incomplete story. They're not they're worthwhile, they're important. I'm not trying to, to diminish them. I'm saying they're incomplete though, and we can complete the story. The diagnosis might be part of the story, but it's not the full story. And so this article is kind of, I think doing a pretty good job of talking about some of the pros and cons. 
Yeah, I'll anyway, certainly put that in the show notes. I'll show that in the show notes. I'll have to read it myself because I think I know. I think I know where that's going uh, a little bit. But along these sim- simple, similar lines, and as a coach, being able to do like the empathetic head tilt and and being able to listen and talk about it, I think it is important for a coach to have that because I think it does directly affect performance. You know, it and does. that's and here's another reason why coaches should consider that. Um, someone who I respect a lot once told me therapy is the thing that people do once they started to try to change and it hasn't been going well. It's not the thing they first do. It doesn't work as well in that scenario. So coaches should listen and, and empathize and because a person's just starting and once they start and they realize I thought I just had to tell myself to do better, but that didn't work. So maybe I should go talk to someone. Your the coach might be the first line of that, and once they stop, you know, then they go to a therapist. So please, coaches, like yes, be human, have empathic conversations. Um, you know, set boundaries. You don't want your clients to constantly tell you things that you're just not equipped to handle yeah (laughs) but um and and you're their coach not their friend and all that so but coaches have pretty good boundaries i hope you can navigate that you'll learn them yeah when i was first starting like personal training i had this guy definitely is not listening but like uh he would really overstep and Mm -hmm. i was just you know i was just trying to make it as personal trainer so i would just i was open to accepting it and it was Mm -hmm. not great Right. So I trust you all with your boundaries and all. You yeah. should trust yourself. So. Trust yourself. You can find them. And how do you? Th- how would you say that 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 this does? Or actually, let's, let's touch on that a little bit more. With like that leading into kind of that next step, like people trying a little bit harder on their own, and then finding that next place. Like, say, a coach like myself. Is, is is doing similar things to what uh, you're doing on the sports performance side of performance psychology side of things where you're observing the pieces and then able to kind of put things together. But I might miss some things where a professional like yourself might be able to to catch a little bit more. So at what point do you or and like what's the conversation like for coaches, for the coaches listening here? How, what kind of conversation and how would you open that conversation to be like maybe there's another step that you could explore through uh, a sports psychologist or a therapist? Like how's that conversation typical? Yeah. So, I mean, you could argue they did. Let's talk about the, the limiter, right? The limiter would be someone doesn't have time or they don't have money to money. afford yep. it. Right. Um, and so then you got to find free online resources or articles and different things. And so, me interacting with a, a coach, I might say, here's a PowerPoint I use, or here's an idea or something, yeah, here's an article. So there's less expensive ways to do it. I would argue, theoretically, that everyone should have a sports psychologist or a performance psychologist like myself, because again, you built the car, but you don't know how to drive it. I'm going to really get to the nuts and bolts of teaching you how to drive this darn Hmm. Um, and trust me, you are clueless on driving it. 
I know you've been a human your whole life. And I know like you, you think, you know, but you don't, you really don't. And you need to learn how to drive this car. So I would say everyone should be just like everyone should have enough nutritional knowledge from a nutritionist to really get it right. There's no good food. There's no bad food, right? Mm -hmm. It's dosage, timing and dosage. Water is very good for you unless if you drink too much and then it can kill you, mm -hmm. right? It, that doesn't make water bad. Um, sweets and ice cream aren't bad. They're, they're just loaded with carbs and quick acting carbs, right? So don't overdose on that, right? but don't avoid ice cream. It's just quick acting carb. A lot of your carbs should be more slower acting, mm -hmm. right? So Depending when we use the yeah. right terminology, slow acting versus quick acting, that helps us perform. It helps us improve our approach to nutrition. Me saying you're being outcome focused, you're being process focused, that's giving them verbiage to help them navigate the field better. And I have a ton of that stuff. The idea of choice, uh, the idea of how to approach a big championship, the idea of going nose to nose against a world champion and how to do that well when you've never gone toe to toe with the world champion before. You know, I... I need to help someone navigate that because if they're just figuring it out on their own, they will eventually figure it out and they could learn all the things I've learned, but I've spent decades studying this, applying it and perfecting it. I'll get you there in 10 minutes or take two years to do it. You'll <laughs> learn it on your own. You'll figure it out. I'm not smarter than anybody but I'll save you a hell of a lot of time. Why wouldn't you? That's the thing. That's what I was thinking about with that. It's like, it's not necessarily like a, the physical steps because you can't really skip those. You know, you can learn how the best route there is to, to go to get the, the physical performance that you want, but like you still kind of got, got to go through it. And uh, so I guess to the same extent, a coach that is going to deliver physical programming can help cut down the time. But why where a, a regular athlete might think that they could figure it out, but they might run out of time over it at some point. So why do you think people do like think that they can figure it out on their own? Like, is there, is, is that something that, cause that's something that I feel like people will go for the physical first. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they will that lead or be someone, you know, maybe like myself who feels like they have a good idea of how to program for themselves. It's like, all right, I've maxed this out. Now let me check the the mental side of things and seeing if like that performance can then exceed it is that the correct way to approach that or or can there be can it be vice versa does it matter um there's no correct or incorrect way right we can approach the same race from different angles and both kick ass in the race yeah but so it's really about what what you know but um so order i don't know if there's a perfect order but uh, I would say this, that um, it's more that, and the stage model I developed, and, and now I pulled you in, and uh, a, a look out world, Rich is becoming an academic. Um, oh, man. He's going to help me publish this work, and soon look in the future where Rich Ryan will be published. But Parents will be um, proud. Yeah. 
So, uh, but, you know, I think in the stage model that I've developed, the first three stages, I say athletes are more likely to focus on high profile things. Like, can I run a 15 mile run? Mm -hmm. Um, That's high profile Mm -hmm. Uh, versus folks in the elite stages, the last three stages of the model, they focus on low profile things. Um, I'm not trying to say I'm a professional athlete by any means, but I'm definitely at a more advanced stage of my uh, athletics than most. And I spent a hell of a lot, a lot of time uh, at the gym doing foot strength drills. You know, here's all these bros lifting heavy weights and I'm sitting over in the corner doing foot strength drills, looking like an idiot. Mm. But that's a low profile thing. And that's going to win me races. I probably have the strongest feet on the East coast. Um, you know, and so I think the mental side is low, it's very low profile. Okay. You know, you, you could brag on Instagram about doing a hundred wall balls. How many people are going to brag on Instagram? I went through an hour long drill with my sports psychologist about the mental side and blah, blah, blah. It's just less sexy. It's less like, whoa, you know, you don't feel it. You, you know? don't feel it. You don't but feel a hundred wall balls. Like that sounds hard. You feel it. You feel it. Yeah. Yep. So everyone should be again, build the car, but learn how to drive it. I don't know how else to say it. It's like, why wouldn't you? But it costs money. Yeah. Right. The the allocation. And then people of don't even understand it. They don't even know what they're gonna get out of it. They don't know that there's outcome focus or process focus. They don't know. Like you can kind of sense bad form. You can sense getting your ass whooped on a course and finishing 10 minutes behind the winner. Right. But you can't, how do you know? Like a lot of that is because you didn't have the right performance model, but how do we prove that? Right. I could show you your arm swing is off and you're crossing your body and that's going to lose time. But how do I show you that your approach is way off? It's a feeling or something. And I can show you, but how do you have that awareness without me showing you? Yeah, it's a leap of faith almost to to kind of put your resources, you know, like the physical resources, your time and your money, and also like your, your, your mental energy to someone that you don't know what you're going to get. People that come to me, they know that they're going to at least get a training program. <laughs> They'll at least tell right. them how far and how fast to, to run. They know that. But the other aspects, they don't know like what to expect on the mental side of things. And, and as we continue to do this work, I, I'm I, I, like more things are really starting to become more clear as we go through it. But every concept is kind of new, but they are th- they're, they're things that it's easy to resonate with. You know, it's things that are, you can feel once it's out there. Like you mentioned the process versus outcome. Um, could you speak about that a little bit more? Cause I think that that can, that can help snap something into like an appropriate perspective. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, let's not forget too, that, um, the field is a victim of its own, uh, of itself. It's a new field sports psychology in many mm-hmm. ways. It's a, you know, it takes a hundred years for a field to mature. This is not a hundred year old field. 
And what I'm saying by that, there's a lot of hacks out there that are very upsetting. Um, and, you know, you go to one of them and it's like, yeah, they told me this and that and it kind of made sense, but it wasn't a game changer. I think the stuff that we're doing, it is a game changer. Um, and I, I think we have some of the results to prove it, that people are different after even a one-time session if we nail it right. And you mm -hmm. and I have done a co-consultation with athletes where I think it really does shift the perspective for someone and it really grounds them quite well. And I've done that plenty of times with athletes. So, yeah. This but anyway. Is yeah, yeah the that's also a barrier as well like talk about the resources the mm -hmm. the, the tangible and, and and you know the mental side but how do you know who to trust yeah how do you know who to I know. and when it's new concepts like you could be telling someone anything yeah and be like and it just doesn't i know what do you do <laughs> it's a real problem i had a i had a guy he was i'm not going to name even the place but he came from an elite division one program that is consistently nationally ranked. So he is the upper echelon of the upper echelon. Um, he's the sports psychologist for that program. And my jaw hit the floor. I was just like, you suck. Like, <laughs> what you're saying is just weak. It's based on nothing. It's not based in neurophysiology. I was dumbfounded. And I see that too many times. I see that in therapy too. Some, you know, probably a third of therapists suck. A third are pretty good, and a third this isn't me. There's some research to show. A third are awesome. A third are pretty good, and a third suck. Whereas doctors, the research is medical doctors. Ninety five five ninety five percent of lawsuits happen against five percent of doctors. <laughs> so you have a ninety five percent chance of getting one of the doctors that are only have 5% of the lawsuits against them. Like you have a pretty good chance of getting a good doctor. You have a 95% chance, only 5% suck. The, I don't think that's true of therapy. And I definitely don't think that's true of sports psychology. <laughs> Does it have to do with the, the maturity of the field? I think so. I think it's partly the maturity of the field. And, you know, doctor, that's a more technical field, depending on which, you know, right. Internal medicine and maybe a little less, but psychiatry is definitely not technical. Uh, but you know, an orthopedic, there's, it's a little more technical. Some are more, you know, therapy is a very non-technical field. There's like and right so and wrong ways to psychology. do. Yeah. There's right and wrong ways to do some of the medical stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, you know, if you set a bone, right. Versus <laughs> yeah. are you doing therapy? Right. Eh, I don't know. Are you doing your head tilt? Okay, we're off to start, <laughs> right? Like that's a very non-technical field I, I live in, and I'm a very technical guy, so it, it's it's hard. But so anyway, um, how would you it, how would you yeah. have someone like vet that? Because this is, you know, like people. And are someone who to... trains therapists, I train my therapist right in in you know I'm a director of a counseling center and uh, in my day job, and I have a robust training program, and I. If, if you can't take what you're saying back to some core foundation of neurophysiology, I don't know if you're right. And I don't know if you know your stuff. Mm, okay. So look for so, more substantive. Yes. And we have the capacity, but my field is very non-technical and they avoid the neurophysiology. And then they just get to spout off ideas and theories. And it's like, you don't even know if that's true or not. 
it's not based in neurophysiology. Yeah. This is, I mean, you know, the fitness industry is similar, like regrettably in this, in this realm where it's like, you can take a little bit of something and say something and pay for a YouTube ad, put someone shredded yeah. on the ad and be like, this is going to work. Say enough fancy marketing things and, and more or less trick people into doing something. Um, right. So. I, I empathized with my physical uh, trainer today, my phys, uh, what do you call it? PT, um, physical therapist. Uh, because I said, we don't know the, I have a plantar fasciitis injury right now. And I said, we don't know the technicals of this. We don't know the mechanisms of this injury. No one does. So yeah. you're just throwing things at the wall and I appreciate you for doing it, but I'm not going to hold it against you if they don't work. Cause we don't know the mechanism. <laughs> and that's with therapy. If you can't tell me the mechanism, then I can't believe what you're doing within my version of performance psychology and others like me, I can trace what I'm saying back to the neurophysiology. Therefore you should believe it. Yeah. But if someone can't tell you the mechanism, don't believe them. It can't all be anecdotal. There's gotta be a place for stuff like that. Like, you know, PF is a good example. Like, you know, some, something might help one person Mm -hmm. get past PF, but they don't know why. You didn't know what happened. It's not going to work for somebody else. And then we don't really know if that the thing even was it. If it even worked. <laughs> yeah, there's right. several other because things. It got better, but you, you have no idea why. Oh, mm-hmm. well, I know it was this because when before it didn't. But no, you still don't know because you don't have a mechanism. Right. Yeah, Your you belief can't. is it worked, but you have no idea. Huh. So that's what with, with this. And so you mentioned uh, process versus outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, most people are outcome focused. And they, they strive, we were taught smart goals, mm-hmm. right? Specific, measurable, uh, approachable, or whatever. Um, yeah, attainable. Realistic, timetable. Yeah, attainable, realistic, and time frame. Um, so focus on, set a goal, focus on that goal. To which I say, no, that's not how it works. And people think I'm crazy now. Like, what? Right? But... If you set a goal, once you set the goal, it's irrelevant. It's now what process am I going to do to get to that goal? Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that's relevant now. So once you say the goal, once you say the outcome, the outcome immediately becomes irrelevant because now it's all process. And what leads to better process? Knowledge. Knowledge creates process, creates outcome. Um, And so when when you're outcome-focused, you're going to be panicky and pressured because you want that outcome, right? Whereas when you're process focused, you're going to be calm and you're going to be determined and patient because you're involved in this process and you know it takes X amount of time. When you have an outcome, you're, you haven't done it yet. You haven't succeeded. So there's judgment and shame. Mm. Whereas when you're in a process, you're like, well, of course I haven't done it yet. This is a two-month process and I'm only two weeks in. So you have self-compassion. So calm, self-compassion, patience, determination versus panic, judgment, shame, pressure, weakness, helplessness. Um, And athletes are notoriously outcome-focused when they should be process-focused. And that's why we use mantras. Like games are like cats. They show up when they want because... I don't know when the gain is going to come. 
I don't know when that outcome is going to come. All I do know is I'm involved in a process that there's neurophysiology, neuroscience, or, or human physiology research to tell me if I go on this path, that outcome will eventually hit come. So the, the distinction between feeling nervous and feeling antsy, is there a difference between like pre-race jitters? Is that the same thing? Or if you're not feeling calm at the starting line, it, like, cause that I, I can't imagine, cause I've been, I've been working on this hard in my own personal performance avenue. I was like, you know, have this process. We need to know what's like, have the adaptation in mind of where you want to go, commit to the process, have an appropriate timetable to get there, but still on race day, still a little nervous. So race day, you should be nervous. It's called excitement and it's sympathetic mm. arousal. So you get cotton mouth. That's why you should measure your water intake. I take 20 ounces uh, two hours before. I take eight ounces an hour before because you get cotton mouth because you're in sympathetic arousal and then you overhydrate. Now you're just, you have two extra pounds of water that yeah. you're carrying around the course the whole time and you should not have two extra pounds on you. Right. Why put on a two pound weight vest at the beginning of the race? Um, uh, second, and you will go to the bathroom three to five times. And I mean, you know, sorry to be gross, but pretty explosively going mm. to the bathroom three to five times, because again, your body's trying to eliminate stuff because you're in kind of that you're in fight uh, mode. Sympathetic. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, that's all expected. That's excitement. That is sympathetic arousal. I don't even call it pre-race jitters. I just know I'm in sympathetic arousal. The other thing I'm trying to do pre-race is I'm trying to get my heart rate up to a workable level. And so I do a good 15 minute warm up to try to get my heart rate up, right? Because I want it uh, a little increased heart rate. But what do I feel? I feel sympathetic arousal, but let's complete that story. Simultaneous to that, I also feel calm because I know I have my priority. I know what I'm about. I know what I'm there to do. And I'm ready to go and do that thing. Whatever it is I'm there to do, I'm going to do that thing. Sometimes it's I'm just practicing obstacle efficiency and I don't really care where I podium mm -hmm. or where I finish. I'm really, it's irrelevant to me. I might even stop and talk to a volunteer because I'm not competing. I'm trying to do obstacle efficiency. Other times it's like I'm going with the lead dog and we're in a bar fight right now. And it's just going to be ugly. And that's my priority. That's my purpose for being on course that day is a slug fest. Let's go, dude. It's going to be ugly. And one guy in my division is a real kind of jerk and he'll elbow people and crap like that. I, you know, it's like, I can't wait to go to the starting line and be like, by the way, if you elbow me, you're getting thrown down a mountain. I don't give a crap. You're not pulling that crap. <laughs> right? Like I'm ready for a bar fight because he's the kind of guy that wants to do a bar fight in the middle of a race. So you have to be but, prepared for it. Right? right. And so that's, I know my objective, but I feel what you feel simultaneous. I feel calm. It's weird to say you feel jitters and calm at the same time, but you yeah. do. Mm -hmm. I've actually had an experience where I was very much like, in the you know the visualization is just like thinking about a race where it it was i was still thinking about where i was going to place and then 
and I almost without even realizing it. And then I realized what I was doing and I just mm. completely shifted it and it changed the way I felt almost immediately. Mm. Like yeah. it was like, I did it like two or three days before the race. I'm like, wait, 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 this is backwards. Like I'm, this is not what I've been working on. This is not the way, like, this is the purpose of this race. And it just shifted mm. completely. Yep. It made me feel so much better. It will. <laughs> yeah. It will. It will. And, and now you're resting on the process and I know my process is tight. I know I'm ready because my outcome is consistent with where I'm at in my season or my training or whatever. Like I'm probably not doing Killington coming up because I'm still injured. But if I do Killington, it's about obstacle efficiency and minimizing risk of injury. Um, so I'm not even worried about a podium. If it happens, fine. But, you know, I'm not, my priority is in a dog fight at all costs with right. the lead pack. Because I, I'm not going to bomb a downhill because I'm injured. Right. So, and we glossed over it quickly, and I meant to kind of double back on it a little bit, but in terms of performance as it relates to just general happiness. Oh, right. Yeah. How how does that work? Because I, I do feel that the, that does need to be part of the puzzle is just like this, uh, uh, like, full concept of what the human being should be. And, and we talked about this idea of like thriving and uh, aligning yourself to perform well. So how, how does that work? How, how do you perform better when everything else in, when you need to account for everything else in life and you feel good about like most things that you're doing? Yeah. So for anyone who's listening, who's coached by Rich, you might've been confused at times and like, why is he talking about life? <laughs> he's my <laughs> running coach. Um, but he's doing it right, folks, because he'll focus on the full athlete. And um, if you don't want that, you probably need to communicate that. But, um, but yeah, good coaches will focus on the full athlete, just like uh, performance psychology will. So um, I pretty much, generally speaking, won't accept a new athlete if they only want to talk performance because then they're going to blame me when they're not performing well. Mm. And I could have told them that was going to happen because they're not, you're a human. You have to focus on all of humanity. You can't just focus on one isolated thing. So in my work, I call it a line right now. We kind of, our three big words are align, thrive, perform. And align is how aligned are you with your core aspiration? How aligned are you with making a difference? You know, is it linked to something bigger than yourself? How aligned are you with your own human anatomy and physiology? How aligned are you with your authenticity? And people who don't have strong alignment, they, it's, it's going to disrupt performance because chaos is going to ensue or they're going to get down on themselves or they're going to lose their focus. And, you know, now you're talking about a, a week of sub- two weeks, a month of suboptimal optimal training or whatever conflict. Um, and it, it, it shows up in, in actual performance. The second piece of it is thrive. And do you, um, do you have a high capacity for intimacy or are, are you a narcissistic jerk that people can't stand? Narcissistic jerks, they go pretty far, but um, they also have a lot of issues and those issues frequently disrupt performance. Um, do you have joy? Uh, do you have, are you in flow a lot? So race day or practice, 
are you in flow or are you in your head worrying a lot? Um, and so thriving is a really critical piece and that should be every day. Uh, gratitude is in thriving. And then you have perform and perform for me is can you execute? So I've given you examples of like, I execute on hydration. I execute on what I'm doing in that race that day. I execute with process at the gym. So I never break form. I mean, willing, like knowing, you know, I'm sure I mess up, but perfect form over what weight am I lifting? Mm-hmm. Always. And sometimes I go, I have to come down 20 pounds in weight because I just don't have it that day. And I'm not going to give up perfect form to push myself to some higher goal. You know, so, and can I show up every day? Can I get up at 4 a.m. when I need to, to get to my first workout? Or did I just not do it? Can I execute? That's perform from the model. Align, thrive, perform. Authenticity kind of stuff. Flow, joy, um, intimacy, thrive, right? And then performance, can you execute? And most people do not have any clue on how to execute, which is why, again, people should go to a performance specialist because telling yourself to do something does not win the day because there would be no sports psychology or no performance psychology needed if just telling yourself, do this today, and then you do it. Is Because uh, the execution part in terms of how I look at my own growth as an athlete from, you know, high school to, to now 20 years or whatever it's been. It's uh that is one piece that has definitely grown substantially is the execution part. And it's like, man, yeah. I wish I knew this 10 years ago. Right. I wish I knew this 15 years ago. Like I wish I knew how to perform this. Is that in the stage model somewhere? The ex- execution part? No, it's part of the perform thrive align. Got it. So like the performance, like, yeah. How do you know if you're not executing well? <laughs> like, because oh, you know. Well, you, do, <laughs> is it perfect? Right? Is it because of? I'm not maybe, sure. No, maybe your question's more valid than I'm. I'm giving it credence for. Um, can people know they're not executing? I mean, you're trying to get into your diet, trying to do body recomp, and you're not losing the weight you need to. We view that as a moral, we view that as a failure. Like I'm not disciplined. We, we, so I would say, how do you know you're not executing? You're not, you're failing. It just, it's not failure. It's process. So you don't know how to execute leading to a lack of growth or whatever. That's lack of execution. It's not that you're failing. Hmm. So this is actually, this is great. It comes all the way back. So that's what a, th- that is something that a performance psychologist would be able to give you. It's like your execution's not right. It's not your mental game <laughs> where they right. might be like, Some, I'm doing all the things I should be performing well. It's like, well, actually you're executing poorly. You're not doing what you, what you think you're doing. So. And I've had athletes argue with me. No, no, no. You don't understand. I know this. I know how to execute. I know how to execute. <laughs> uh nutrition and hydration and sleep it's like no you might not yeah it's like you know you really might not 
I do think that there is a huge gap in that if people do think they're doing a lot more than what they're actually doing, you know, or like, because it works. Right. Like if it, they know the knowledge, but knowing it and executing are two different things. Two totally and, different things. And you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. I thought I knew, I thought I executed plenty until I realized, oh, I didn't know this. Well, now that I know that, that changes how I execute. Right? right? And so suddenly my execution looks much different because I have new knowledge. So knowledge creates process, creates outcome. And learning the performance of execution, that's, it's hard for me to sell myself. And I don't need to sell myself because I'm a busy guy and I've, <laughs> I don't need new clients. But it's hard for me to help people to understand that I am going to show you how to execute and there's a 90, 95% likelihood you don't know how to. Yeah. But it's hard for me to really do that. But anyway, failure is really lack of execution. It's not, you're not a failure. You're not failing. You didn't make a, oops, you didn't you're make a mentally mistake. Weak. Yeah. You're not mentally weak. You don't need more discipline, blah, 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 blah. You really don't know the ins and outs, the, the neurophysiology of execution. Right. And, and that's the performance piece. What makes you think you have the neuro, you know, the neurophysiology of joy, <laughs> like of what it's like to wake up every day. And this is, I wake up every day and I'm excited for my day. I love the people I'm in contact with. I'm smiling. I'm laughing. People generally like me. Like I like generally other people, you know, and I'm injured yeah. <laughs> and I can't, and I'm watching all the West coast boys came to the East coast to West Virginia and I couldn't face off against them. And that is not disruptively devastating though. It hurt appropriately. So right. How, right. You can live your best life. Everybody live your best life. You can have it all, but you have to have the knowledge to execute on it all. And that's what performance psychology is really about. And that's why Rich as a coach, for all of you out there looking for a coach, that's why he's a full human coach, not just an athlete coach. Because they all feed into each other. I think that that was a good exclamation point on this. It, it like really <laughs> did come all the way around. Unplanned, just started that way, uh -huh. came back around. That could be like a... A full lecture. Save that for a lecture for one. Year. Remind people to listen to the last three minutes when it all because they they sometimes drop out prematurely. Oh yeah, but, yeah. Not it, on your podcast. But. Yeah, no, no, no. Hundred percent. Listen, rate the full time. <laughs> I'll make I'll make sure to mean teaser in the beginning. Mean teaser in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, cool, Tim. Well, that was great. I do appreciate it. Appreciate your time. I thought I think that we covered a lot of cool stuff. So where uh, where can people find you? I'm uh, on Instagram, Tim Silvestri. Uh, uh, my um, email is Timothy Silvestri at Gmail. Um, you can put my phone number in the notes. Uh, people have, you probably just call me on my cell. <laughs> I get, everyone has my cell. There's not a person I don't meet that doesn't have my cell. <laughs> um, well, cool, Tim, you're doing great work. We're, we're doing work together and I'm excited for it as always. So I appreciate you taking the time, man. Yeah, and everyone look uh, in the future for Rick, the academician. <laughs> <laughs> Not just the coach. Can't wait. Can't wait.
All right, Dan, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye.